Six minutes it is after 8 p.m. Uh, you tuned into Metro FM Talk and uh, uh, we now go into our SMME exchange conversation and uh, I'm going to be joined shortly. Well, he's just walked in now to our C-Point studio. Uh, I'm joined here by Ubo uh, Desile and uh, he uh, runs uh, he runs something called Quirky 30, which is a non-profit offering free technology skills training uh, services for high school dropouts. And he's a computer whiz himself, having uh, taught himself, and uh, certainly someone who uh, has worked extensively with the young people, uh, teaching them uh, coding, design, graphic design, online digital marketing, and entrepreneurship skills in a uh, free year-long course that he provides. And uh, he uh, aims, I guess, to uh, provide them with uh, some skills that they can use to either find a job or to be able to uh, start their own businesses. And he joins me now in studio. Mshengu Gunjan. Ah, let's see. Do I have you on the right one there? Yeah. And good evening to all Metro FM listeners. Ah, the there we are. Yeah, boy, yeah, boy, yeah, boy. Sick toilet, man. Is that your phone? Ujad. Sure, sure. Yes, my brother. Yeah. Let's start off. I mean, just with your own journey, and uh, we'll get to, I guess, what led to you, uh, um, sort of working on a Quirky Thirty. Uh, but uh, let's maybe start off with your own journey, Usisle Owagopi, and uh, you know how did you get to the point now where you work with young people every single day of your life, uh, imparting much-needed skills? Lefoyar, I was born and bred in Kui Township. If you are a Shumaka, it's ten minutes away from here, which is called Lara Shumaka. If you are not, <laughs> it's twenty minutes. Yeah. So I was born and bred there. I started school at the age of four, finished mm. high school at age sixteen had no aspirations to go to university, you know, so I started getting naughty. And mm. that led me to being in prison uh, for 11 years, three months. So mm. it's been almost six years now since I've been out of, out of prison. Mm. And I come from a family, five brothers raised by a single mom. Mm. Um, and um, growing up has always been seeing all these challenges that are happening in the township. You know, because, I mean, one of the critical things that I always encourage and um, you know, advocate for is to have positive role models in our township. Sure. Because um, when we ushered the new democratic dispensation, you know, all of the role models, you know, from professors to doctors left the township for greener pastures. Mm. And the people that are left behind are drug lords, gangsters and arm robbers. So young kids of today, they envy and want to be them because that's their own definition of success that they can resonate with. So I was caught up in that limelight, and then at the end of the day, when I was about to turn 19, uh, and then I got arrested. Mm, mm. Talk to us about, I mean, I guess that experience, um, you know, awaiting trial, going into into the prison system at that young age. Um, and in fact, I guess many people would say, you know, your 20s are, are the prime of their lives, uh, and, and you spend much of that behind bars. All of uh, my 20s. All of your 20s. <laughs> let's let's <laughs> talk about that experience. I mean, <laughs> and uh, more importantly, you know, uh, how did that, I guess, you know, shape your mindset to say, as Indoni, I want to do something entirely different than Puma First and foremost, I think, you know, prison is no place for any human being, you know. Um, and before I, I can say anything or even continue with this conversation, I want to first, you know, um, express my deepest condolences now to the family, the Huijana family. Mm. With regards to what has just happened, you know, I mean, social media news are buzzing, you know, um, with everything that has happened. But, you know, for me, walking 
through peers and doors, you know, firstly, everything, you know, just turned upside down. My own imagination was stepped, was stepped up. And um, I joined the prison gang called the 26 mm. and then started a business. You know, most people don't believe that you can start a business in prison, but I did, you know, even though that I was smuggling marijuana, but it mm. was a business because I had four prison officials who were on my payroll for four years awaiting trial. I never ate prison food. I ate all the KFCs and the Nandos. Okay, that's in doing my sense Pause mm. there. As boya, so pindas boya legle business ya kuhebu kruk. So pindas boya legle business ya because you know a lot of people don't like to speak about that space, but that's enterprise as well. Yeah. And I want us, class uh, boya, we need to take a brief break. But when we come back, I want us to maybe for you to unpack that. I mean, I, I find it so interesting that you say you had waters on your payroll. <laughs> you, you know, you, you're running an enterprise. Pagati echele. Um, and uh, I'm quite interested in some of the lessons that you learned there that you were able to apply outside. Let's take this break. 12 minutes it is after 8 p.m. and uh, it's our SMME exchange on conversation and I'm joined uh, in studio here by the founder of uh, Quirky30 uh, which is a non-profit company offering uh, free technology and digital skills training for young people uh, to equip them uh, I guess uh, for the demands of the fourth industrial revolution and also uh, to potentially pathway them into uh, the world of enterprise and Sisha Shabalala uh, the uh, founder joins me uh, in the studio now. Now, Sister before we into the break, uh, <laughs> but uh, you know, you you were an entrepreneur, Pagat, yeah, um, and uh, you know, you were explaining some of the things that you were selling, and of course, you had a few people on your payroll. Let's right. continue then. Yeah, um, most people don't believe that you can start a business in prison, but I did. You know, and it's the reason sometimes I always tell people that, you know, the best accelerators and incubators or the best entrepreneurs are sitting in prison. Because for you to become a successful entrepreneur, you have to possess three qualities. And the guys in prison, they possess those qualities naturally. Mm. One, if you want to become a successful entrepreneur, you have to know how to hustle. And in prison, we have the best hustlers. Mm. Two, you must have the courage to take risks. And in prison, we have the best risk takers. Three, you must know how to network. And in prison... We have the best networkers. It's just that people they choose. People can sell. People yeah. can. Uh. It's just that now they choose the wrong product in life, which is crime. You know, <laughs> sure. they channel all of that energy, you know, and intellect into wrong things. Mm. You know, mm. um, you know. Let me, let me, let me just give you just a simple analogy because you know, in prison, I've never met people that are so you know, amazing, you know, that possess such very high level of IQ because that's the reason why they are in prison because mm. for other human beings, you know, they tend to be challenged by it because the level of IQ that these guys possess, you know, it's very, very complicated that any other human being can ever comprehend. Why? Because, I mean, we believe in one thing that, you know, we feed into uh, their own creativity and innovation. How? Let's assume you just bought a house. You're happy, mm. you have a new home. I come in and break into a house. What do you do? You call the cops and then secure the house, putting on bagla bars. Mm. But what you don't know is that indirectly, you are sending me back to my drawing board to go and figure out how do I break into a house with bagla bars. To innovate. Meaning mm. that now I have task number two. Once I have my task number two figured out, I come in and expose your weaknesses. Then you decide to put on beams, motion sensors. For me, that's task number three. It's like every preventative system you put in place stimulates me to think innovatively, creatively even more. Mm. Once I have my task number three figured out, I come in and expose your weaknesses. Then guess what? You then decide to hire arm response team. 
for me that's test number four because firstly I have to figure out how many times does these guys patrol that vicinity or area that kind of intelligence and then also if it happens that an alarm system goes off what is their response time if they have five minutes it means that I have four minutes so it's innovation that you will never learn sitting behind the desk. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Learning by That's doing. wisdom from the ghetto. Yeah, you learn it on the job. That Thank way. you. Mm-hmm. Now, you spend 11 years yes. in that kind of environment. You're an entrepreneur. You've got people on your payroll. Of course, I'll partly text, but you've got all these people on your payroll. And I don't do banking. You don't bank the money. I mean, maybe there's a banking system. You don't know. But you don't do any of that kind of bank. Now, you then leave prison. And oftentimes we talk about the difficulty of reintegrating a band who have spent some time in prison, reintegrating them into our societies, putting them into productive work. Um, and sometimes because at the end of the day, people can't acclimatize themselves to the outside world and, of course, the rejection that they feel. Mm. What, what is that experience like for you? I think for me, what has, you know, enabled me to be able now to integrate successfully, you know, after spending so many years in prison was because I came out in prison prepared. Mm. You know, I used to be a medicine English teacher in prison. You know, I don't have a teaching qualification, but that's when my love and passion started. You know, that's when I realized what I had in me. That's the reason why, you know, I had to start school at a very young age. Mm. You know, uh, I've always been a hyper kid or a whiz kid curious about anything. So one day, a student of mine stood up and asked me a question that Sikha tell me, what is it that I can study now that will be relevant in 10 years when I'm released out of prison? And unfortunately, I cannot do anything about it in prison, but that's when you get caught, when you are a Hong Kong teacher. It's mm. when you can't give answers to your students because they expect you to have everything, you know, for them. So that the, the whole idea that I'm currently doing now was inspired, indirectly inspired, actually, by that student. Because mm. I but never your inability thought, to answer that question. Yeah, mm. you know, so... Um, that's when, uh, when I, when I, when I came out, I realized that, you know, even though that I have been absent, you know, from the Lang- uh, from this township of Langa for the past 11 years, nothing much has changed. It's still the same as I have left 11 years ago. That's when I decided now to do something innovative, something audacious, something that, that has never been done in black townships before. And also now I wanted to challenge the, the status quo and the norms because I learned a lot of being in prison, even though that everything that I know, it's all self-taught, you know, because I've never been to university or college. Mm. So that's when now I decided now to start a coding initiative. And I remember, you know, when two weeks later, you know, when my family asked me, what are you thinking, you know? Um, at least you have metrics, so it means that at least you can get some sort of a private job. And then I decided that, mom, I want to start a business, you know. And they started putting all, they started pulling all of those old scrolls from family history, you know, of people that have failed in business. You know, in business. So and so had a business <laughs> or failed. Or so and so. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. trying, trying actually to persuade me that you see, you'll never get it right because mm. none of the family members have ever done something and got it right, you know. But. You know, I was different and uh, I was determined and uh, I wanted to achieve whatever it is that I wanted to achieve. So I knew, that, you know, that firstly, I I had to teach myself the skill to be able not to transfer it, mm. you know. And uh, that's where now YouTube and, uh, you know, um, some other platforms like Core Academy, Plural Site, help me now to fulfill the dream that I'm mm. currently living. Mm. Mm. And you, I mean, I guess 
that journey, right, of going and self-teaching yourself. I mean, uh, there's a story by Wambo, a Cash Crusaders, and you got a computer, <laughs> and then you sat there on the internet, and you were able to, to uh, uh, connect in that kind of way. How long did that take? And more importantly, at what point did you realize, actually, I can turn this into some form of sort of not-for-profit initiative that can be able to assist other people to learn the same skill? Six weeks. It took me six weeks. And... Uh, because you know i was so fired up you mm-hmm. know i wanted to make something out of nothing you know and uh, the story behind the cash crusade is that uh, when i when i came out uh, you know family members and friends will come and visit me because i mean i came out of prison with only one full track so two underwears and two vests so family members, when news went viral, that Sihle is finally out, you know, they will come and visit me. Sihle, here's 100 trying to buy yourself a cool drink. Here's 200 trying to buy yourself a toiletry. You know, I ended up using all of that money to buy myself a second-hand um, laptop at Cash Crusader. Mm. So every morning, I used to travel to City Library in town, you know, to go and plug into a free Wi-Fi because we don't have Wi-Fi hotspots in Langa. You know, so I used to travel to the CPD and then plug into the internet and being able to download material off from the internet and then go back home and study. So after six weeks, when I was able to write a few lines of code and when I viewed them on the browser, that's when my imagination was captured. Mm. Not by the Guptas, mm. actually, or Busasa. <laughs> by, the, by Google. By Google this time. By Google. <laughs> so, so, and then Quirky30. Yeah, let's talk about that journey because uh, you know building that company, the partnerships and the relationships you had to build to to try and roll that out as an initiative that people can look towards, that people can tap into to be able to learn some of the skills that are going to be crucial and integral to to any professional path in the near future. Um, what were some of the difficulties there? Or maybe let's pause there, take mm. a brief break. When we come back, we we uh, unpack some of that question. What were some of the challenges? Who did you have to speak to? Who did you have to partner with to try and uh, I guess take this live, if I can put it that way. Twenty-four minutes it is after eight PM. I'm in conversation with the founder of Quirky Thirty, and that is the Sihle Shabalala. Now, Sihle, uh, let's talk about those partnerships. Let's talk about Landlela that you had to walk in order to build this as a business. Uh, you know the people you had to hire, the relationships you had to build, all of that. You know, it wasn't an easy ride. You know, because I mean, we don't come from rich families where we are able now to borrow like about hundred grand and yanali here. And then being able now to build whatever that you want to build, even if you fail, you know, it's still okay. You know, for me, failure was something that was non-existence. You know, I wanted to make success of the business. You know, I wanted to make, um, you know, a success of the business, but also have a social impact. You know, because what I care most about was the people. You know, I've done, you know, amazing work being, you know, in prison, you know, moving from my criminal behavior life to being a teacher, to to be part of a not-for-profit called The Groupophobe. So I realized that, you know, there's great fulfillment when you help other people. Mm, mm. So coming out, I wanted to have that social aspect within whatever it is that I'll be involved in. You know, so um, in, in the beginning, what really helped me in having to start the organization was an American fellow. You know, there's an American guy. He's still actually very much involved in the business. You know, if you go to our website, he's there. His name is Tim Falls. Mm. You know, he was the first guy that gave me the first, you know, 
um, money now to start, uh, you know, Quickie Theory. And I remember when he, he said I must write him a proposal. At that time, I could not even write a proposal, a funding proposal. So I, I, I wrote him a half-page word document saying that with so much money, I, want, I would buy 10 computers to start with so much money. You know, I'll buy, um, you know, um, this and that routers and then have 12 months rent you know and then 12 months um, you know for 12 months internet mm. and uh, two weeks later money was in um, was in my bank and I was able not to start the business today you know we are partnered with with global companies you know last year we were one of the 12 finalists for the Google impact mm. you know mm. um, and uh, we will soon be the first training institution in a black township in South Africa that has been given accreditation by Amazon to mm. deliver the Amazon cloud foundations and architect you know um, so we are also funded by the NetBank Foundation Accenture mm. you know and we work with quite a lot of other companies based in New York in Ireland you know uh, various companies all 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 over but you know, for me, I've always envied that the kind of work that we are doing will be realized by corporate South Africa, you know, mostly, mm. rather than being funded by international communities. But I do understand because, you know, it's kind of like we are still lacking behind. When I was speaking in, 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 in Dubai in 2017, you know, I, you know, I was faced with such a remark that Africa is like 10, 15 years behind in mm. terms of the digital revolution and we still have to play catch up, you know, and it saddens me because I have been doing coding even in schools for the past five years without you no know, government support. You and know? only now government starts talking. Yeah, you know, 2019. 2019, yeah. they want to make coding compulsory now because they, it's only now that they see it as a need and it's government-led. Now, I don't have faith there, you know, but, you know, whereby I have been doing it for the past five years, I'm the first in Africa to teach both male and female offenders, even coding. Mm. Second in the world when it comes to males. First in the world when it comes to females. Even first in the world to take internet inside prison. Sisla, mm. mm, 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 mm. I've got a tweet here, my brother, from Uzina. Uzina, I wish I had Sisla's willpower. I can't even count the number of things... I'd have taught myself to do, to push forward against all of these odds. This is a really inspirational story. I mean, you're talking now about how you've made, I guess, impact to, to be able to take it not only in your community, but to be able to take it back uh, to, to try and teach some of the offenders who are going to have to be reintegrated into their communities after they have been rehabilitated by the correctional services system mm. and how much better if they come in there with skills that are marketable that can allow them to create a, a job for themselves or even uh, to create jobs for others and, and maybe the question i'm asking is when we look at what indeed Hulumende can do i mean you, you touched on the fact that you had to go to the city library to mm -hmm. just find indofarane wi-fi yeah which should be a, you know a basic need in our own communities in 2019 and yet mm. you know we celebrate so we're 2019 i mean i mean it's, <laughs> it's probably one of the most unsettling things to look at so yeah. what, what are some of the things i mean surely internet is one of those yes but one would think that's though that uh, local you know be it the councillor right through to the national and the provincial government where can they assist you so that at least your impact can reach to other places? So that's mm. and Asimbegwen, and many of the other places as well. <laughs> I think first and foremost, we need to be realistic, mm. you know, because, you know, you know, two weeks ago, I read statistics, you know, um, even a report by the United Nations and the World Bank, 
you know, saying that he, you know, two thirds of the jobs in developing countries will be lost to automation, mm. meaning that now we we need to move fast, not slowly but fast. Because, I mean, today you find that youth unemployment is currently sitting at 57.2%, which is a ticking time bomb that is ready to explode any time. And government still, you know, you know, encourage people to enter intensive labor industries. Mm. You know, every township kid today aspires to go to university. But when you ask them, what is it that you're going to study towards? It's marketing, you know, HR, business management. And then they take those degrees and, and go and work at call centers or be cashiers at spa because they study towards careers that are not in demand. Mm. So we need to be realistic mm. because every Thing now it's moving into the digital world, into the digital era. That's why sometimes you know I get so so frustrated whenever fourth industrial revolution conversations are always happening in government and academia level because four IR even affects us, mm, mm. us the usual people, the ordinary citizens. So, firstly, yes, accessibility because internet should not be a privilege but a basic right sure because i mean without the internet it means that now we would never be able now to address all of the challenges that we are faced with mm. but simply simple solution access to the internet can make a big difference secondly i think we need to to be able now to make a big shift meaning that now if we that that shift should not come from the people that would want to contain it. Look at what has transpired in India. Mm. You know, India made a big shift in terms of IT. You know, IT was glamorized. IT was made fashionable. Today, you know, over 60% of the jobs are always outsourced in Asia, which yeah. is India mainly. Process outsourcing, yeah. yeah. You know, um, the tech industry is one of their biggest GDP contributor. You know, so we can position South Africa in the same manner because a dollar, it's 15 rand. Euro, it's 17 rand. Pound, it's 19 rand. So it means that we would have access to all these, you, you know, mm. currencies mm. and create sustainable jobs. You know, so for me, I'm a realist. I know that one thing that the only way that to make the only way to make a significant impact in these communities is when we teach people skills of the future, mm. because that is what is required. Mm. You know, because I mean, you know, every company now, everywhere. I mean, if, even financial financial institutions like Standard Bank, Nant Bank, you know, they are all closing down branches. You yeah. know, multi choice has just re retrenched people now in June. Mm. So companies are laying off people and uh, what we require is a big force to be able now to upskill mm. people. What do those jobs look like uh, the jobs of that future? Where I'm sitting at home uh, you know, I'm doing a, a small job for some guy sitting in you know, San Francisco and the like we did. Yeah, yeah. So we are doing work for Australian clients even. Mm. Yeah. Whereby we are in Langa. Engineer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, the future of work is a digital future. Mm. That's one thing that I want to highlight and point out. The future of work is digital future. Meaning that, you know, with accessibility, you know, to, in, to, to right equipment and also accessibility to infrastructure like the internet, you know, you can do work while sitting at, your com at, the, mm. at, at the comfort of your own home. Same applies when it comes to people that have criminal record. It means that now, you know, we will reduce recidivism rate in this country with a huge significant amount because whenever you have a job, clients don't ask whether or not you have a criminal record. You know, as can long you as you job? can program, yeah. you can do the job at a cheaper price, 
they give you work. Mm. And uh, one thing also that I want to leave, you know, before now we can we can step down. You know, there are these institutions called CITAS. Mm. Sector Education, Sector Education and Education Training and Training Authority. Authority. Mm. You know, um, yes, government pumps money there. Finan- you know, even corporate South Africa pumps money there to roll out programs where they teach our people IT. But what type of IT skills is that? End user computing and ICTL. Yeah. 20 years ago, we, re- we needed people with ICTL and end user computing. Not today. So, don't pump money for BEE score points mm. in skills development that are outdated. Yes, mm. let's be realistic. Let's be realistic. So That's why I admire people like Albert Einstein, mm. who once said that we can never change today's problem with the same thinking and mindset that created them. Mm. We need to be different. We need to speak differently, walk differently, do things differently, create or design frameworks that are different. Thank you so much for your time Pleasure. and for sharing uh, your story, a very inspiring story with us here on uh, Metro FM Talk uh, on uh, this uh, Tuesday evening as part of our SMME exchange. His name is Sikha Shawalala, founder at Quirky30. Where can people get hold of Quirky30? Who might be willing to, you know, invest and fund the expansion of your impact. How do people find you? Um, our website is www.quirky30. Quirky is an English word that means unusual. So it's mm. Q-U-I-R-K-Y-3-0, the numeric, dot C-O dot Z-A. Or Sile at Quirky30 dot C-O dot Z-A. My mobile, 074-375-3767. Again, 074-375-3767. Awesome one, my brother. All are seven. That's why my number has all the sevens. <laughs> sure. <laughs>